This morning, uh, in, in just a few moments, I'm going to be reading from the sixth chapter of John's Gospel. So if you have uh, your Bibles or are inclined to want to open them up, go, go ahead and mark John chapter 6. We're going to get there uh, in a few moments. Uh, before we do, I want to share a couple things with you. I want to want to talk for a moment about what's, what you see behind me here today. I know many of you joined us yesterday for the uh, Dog Days of Summer event out um, back at the pavilion and on the field. Uh, it was an appropriate name for the events because it was stinking hot. Um, but it was, you know, it was a wonderful day. It was a lot of fun, and I want to start with just a thank you. There's too many to name individually, but there was just a, a whole team of folks from our special events ministry. Uh, and you saw, if you were here, you saw them in the kind of the light blue shirts but folks that, you know, prepared food, that served, that set up, that did music. The praise band was out there. The youth band um, made their de- debut, and you're going to see them in, I think, the weeks to come uh, that helped clean up. I mean, just a whole bunch of folks that were part of that. So hear me say to you, if you were part of the, the planning and work team for that, thank you. It was a, it was a great event. It was a lot of fun, uh, and we enjoyed um, the time together. But it was also kind of fun in fellowship with a purpose. And one of the purposes is, is exactly what's behind me today. Um, if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about our Pakistan ministry. If you're relatively new, know that during the school year, one of our outreach ministries is Pakistan. Every week, uh, part of our outreach team uh, puts together um, backpacks of food that we then, at the end, on a Thursday, deliver to Blackburn Elementary, and they send those backpacks home with kids who have been identified in the school as high-risk and high-need. And the idea behind that ministry, and a lot of churches that are part of it, it's not something we created. We kind of got jumped on board with it. But uh, the idea is that there are a lot of kids that depend upon the schools for their food, for their nourishment, for their meals. And when school's out on Friday until they get back on Monday, a lot of times they don't have much to eat at all. So that's one of the ways that we meet a need. And so we provide those baskets, those bags that go home so these kids have food during the weekends. Well, I don't even know who to credit with the idea, but that outreach and that ministry team and our special events team decided another thing that we could do for these kids. And we're going to start next year. Um, we start on the, at this school year with 25 kids that we'll be supplying bags for every week. And I promise you by the end of the year that's going to be many more because it always grows. But they decided that another thing that we could do, because it stands to reason if kids and families don't have a lot for food, they don't have a lot for school supplies. So part of the Dog Days of Summer was to, to raise funds and supplies so that we can put backpacks together. So that at the beginning of the year, those kids will get backpacks full of school supplies to help them start off uh, with a solid foundation for their school year. So what you see behind me are the things that were donated yesterday. Uh, Tablets, backpacks, um, uh, cases, crayons, pencils, paper, you know, everything that you would need. And this is everything that came in yesterday. And hear me say thank you to everybody who donated and, and made this possible. And so with these, along with... The money that was raised in the dunk tanks, um, which I'll talk about in a moment, uh, they're gonna, they're, that money's going to go to buy some additional backpacks so we can load them up. So, so understand, even in our um, moments of just kind of fun and, and fellowship, we want to be about the work Jesus has called us to. So thank you to everybody who played a part of this and who donated and was a part of the event yesterday. Now, 
for the dunk tank. The dunk tank's raised over $230 um, for this. Um, if you are here, you know that the ministry, much of the ministry staff, John, Julie, our youth director, uh, Ethel, our children's ministry director, and myself were in the dunk tank. Now, this is how it broke down. To dunk John, you all paid roughly about $40. You contributed $40 to those who threw and dropped him in the tank. And he had to go last, so he was at the biggest disadvantage there. Um, Julie and Ethel each brought in about $50 for people that wanted to dunk them in the tank. I brought in about $90 for people that wanted to dunk me in the tank. So I'm not sure how I feel about that. I don't know if I should be happy or I should be sad that you all took so much joy in that. Uh, but it was a lot, it was a lot of fun, and, and I thank you for being a part of it, and I did, for the most part, enjoy it. There was a couple times I was caught unprepared. I won't say that was a whole lot of fun. When the water goes up the nose, that was a little unpleasant, so I know, oh, poor me. Oh. So at one point, though, because if you're here, uh, we played kickball before, and we, I was str strategic with that because we played kickball before I got in the dunk tank. And so at one point, they thought they were being mean, and they dumped a bucket of ice water over the top of me. And I was like, do it again. It feels great. So I was like, that's okay. Uh, but anyway, so that was going on. So I want to share that with you so you kind of know what you're looking at this morning. Uh, the other thing I want to say very quickly, uh, again, if you've been here for more than, more than a year, you know the last couple of summers uh, I have gone away for about three Sundays uh, as I'm continuing my education and working on my doctorate. Uh, after service today, I pretty much disconnect and start getting things ready. I leave this week to head up to uh, Wilmore, Kentucky. We'll be up in Wilmore for the next two and a half weeks uh, in classes. And then the following week, they do an immersion experience. Like last year, they sent us to Seattle. This year, they're sending us to a city again. We were, we were hoping and praying for another moderate time, uh, climate kind of place. Seattle was great last summer. It was a wonderful place to go. It was cooler. We were hoping for something like that. Uh, so they decided to send us to Houston, Texas. So, uh, I'm like, really? The only advantage of Houston is I'm, I know, exactly. It's hotter. And I've, uh, anybody from Houston? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> I've been to Houston. I'm like, really, Houston? But, um, but anyway, so I'll be gone for these next few weeks. I do ask and, and really appreciate your prayers. It's, it's a great time. It's tough to be away from the family for almost four weeks, but three Sundays. Uh, but I want to let you know that the next two Sundays, um, you're going to have the original here, not the cheap knockoff. My father's going to be here preaching for those two weeks. So if you've not heard him, you'll want to be here. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm just the cheap knockoff. He's the original. So uh, he'll be here and doing a one and two part uh, series. And then the following week, Pastor Don will be here. So I really encourage you not to miss. You all hear me almost every Sunday of the year. I think I'm in the pulpit probably about 47, 48 Sundays a year. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to hear somebody else and hear you know, from different voices. So I hope you'll be there and, and kind of support them. And I appreciate uh, them coming and stepping up as I'm away. All right, enough of all those things. Uh, let's get to the scripture this morning, John chapter 6. And we're picking up at verse 25, and, and this is one of those scriptures and one of those um, experiences and encounters um, in the, the ministry of Jesus that to fully understand, you have to have read what happened before. You have to go back and reread the beginning of the chapter because this really fits in the context of what Jesus has just done prior to what I'm going to read. 
And what he had just done prior to this, the day before, is he had fed 5,000 people with loaves, a few loaves and a few fish. If you remember that miracle, it's in all four of the Gospels. And so the people have seen this miraculous uh, miracle. They've seen this miraculous feeding. And then after that, in a, in, a, in a miracle that is only witnessed by his disciples, Scriptures tell us Jesus walks on the water. So these two things have just happened. And we pick up on the next day after the feeding of the 5,000. And this is what we read at verse 25. It says, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began... Um, okay, how about I go to chapter five or chapter 6, not chapter 7. Sorry, let's start again. 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what, what must we do to have the works or to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Brothers and sisters, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for these words that you give us, the bread of life that you offer. May we have hearts that are receptive to hear, and, and may we faithfully listen to that which you would speak into our lives today. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to begin with this question. How many of you are familiar with this billboard? Go ahead and bring the first one up, Andrew. How many of you have seen that before? A few of you? There's another one. That's the keep yelling. Go to the next one. There's another one of the billboards that you've seen. Anybody know where that place is? Yeah, south of North Carolina, north of South Carolina, right there on the border. It is right on the border. And if you drive I-95 um, north and, and south to, through the Carolinas, you are going to see these all over the place. I think they start in Georgia and they go you know, all the way up and through. Tony and I, when we would make our drives back and forth when I was at school in North Carolina, uh, you know, this became kind of our marker because we knew heading north when we saw, you know, south of the border, we were actually getting close to, to home, at least where home was for us um, then. Signs up and down the interstate. Now, there's another one I've never seen before, but I read about this one uh, when I was kind of researching that. Go to the next one. Have you seen, anybody seen these before? Yeah. Where's Wall Drug? Do you remember? 
South Dakota. How many of you have seen these signs before? I've never seen these signs before. Apparently, wall drug way overdoes what even south of the border does. They start, I mean, thousands of miles away. I think they're in South Dakota. They have signs in Canaan Valley, West Virginia, and all the way across, I think, I-90. Is that the one that stretches? They have signs all over them. In fact, here's, go to the last slide, Andrew. See the sign on the left, 5,397 miles to Waldrug of South. Do you know where that sign is? Amsterdam. That's in Amsterdam. The one on the right, the one on the right, you can't read, you probably can't very easy, but it says free ice water, 9,333 miles away, Waldrug of South. That is in the South Pole. There are signs that our soldiers have put up in Afghanistan for a while. I mean, it's like this cultural phenomenon. You said they're in England. They're all over the place. And, and there are these kind of signs that, you know, these are obviously more tongue-in-cheek. Okay, Andrew, thank you. Um, but, but the idea is they're signs that kind of let you know you're moving in the right direction. They let you know that something significant is coming, or at least something that may be of interest to you. Um, how many of you have ever actually stopped at south of the border? Okay. How many of you refused to stop at South Carolina because of the signs? Anybody? <laughs> now, I stopped. We did it once. We stopped one time just to check it out because the curiosity got the better of us, and once was enough. Um, wall drugs? Anybody been to wall drugs? See, I'm surprised how many of you. I, I'm just, well, I had no idea. I thought it would be kind of this. Well, anyway, that's cool. Is it impressive? No, no, you just, just the signs, just, just the signs. Signs have value. I mean, they really do. These are kind of the extreme cases, but, but signs let us, let us know that, that we're looking in the right direction, we're moving in the right direction. They kind of point us to something. Interesting in the Scriptures that the miracles of Jesus are often called signs. The signs that Jesus performed. And very often, for, for some of us, they're the things that we think of most when we think about Jesus. We think about uh, the miracles he performed, like the feeding of the 5,000, the, the resurrection of Lazarus, the healing of the blind man. We think about these miraculous things that Jesus did. But if we kind of look at the entire context of the ministry of Jesus, if we studied all four Gospels, we find that in the entire ministry of Jesus, there is no more than about Three dozen miracles, depending on how you count them. Uh, whether or not, because the, each of the Gospels recount and tell the stories, and there's some overlap there. But, but at most, 36 miracles, which, that's a lot of miracles. I mean, that's not a small amount. But over the course of three-year ministry, I mean, it's not like Jesus was performing miracles every day. And in fact, when then you then go deeper and you start to study, you, you find that very often Jesus downplayed the miracles. When he would heal people, very often he would give them instructions after he'd healed them and made them well. Do you remember what the instructions were? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. He, he downplayed the miracles. Very often when Jesus, sometimes when he performed miracles, like the, the resurrection of the, of, the, of the young girl, he just took James and John and Peter with him. He didn't pull everybody in. He just took a few of his disciples to see him. In fact, there's only a few miracles that were really witnessed on a large scale. The feeding of the 5,000 was one of them. But, but Jesus very clearly isn't doing miracles 
to impress people. In fact, Jesus never denied the healing of somebody who was in need. He never said no to somebody who asked him. But he did say no when people asked him to do miracles for show. He did say no when people asked him to do miracles to impress people. Which is why, and and I will just kind of share a bias with you, I do not deny the reality of miracles. I don't um, deny the fact that God still works in miraculous ways. But I am very skeptical of anybody that makes miracles part of a show or a demonstration. I I just am. Uh, That's my bias, and, and God alone judges. But because I didn't see Jesus do that. Jesus didn't call everybody else to see. He just met the needs. Well, as I said, in the context of this scripture this morning, Jesus has done a miraculous thing. In the day before, he's fed 5,000 people with some loaves and fish. Why did he do it? Because they were hungry. And he, had an, and he could meet a need. That's why he did it. And after as he had been with the crowd and he'd been preaching and teaching, he withdrew. He needed to get away, as is often his example. And he retreats to the other side of the lake, and in between is the walking on the water. But the crowd find out where he is. They find out where he's went. And I, I kind of like paparazzi to a, a movie star. You know, they just, they flock to go find him. And that becomes the context for this encounter with Jesus. They run to Jesus. But they're coming to Jesus... Because they want another one. They want another miracle. They want to be impressed again. Jesus, you did this. I mean, this was amazing. What more can you do? You know, it's kind of like the, the, the kids with the magi- uh, magician. Show us another one. And they come to Jesus for sign. And Jesus offers them something very, very different than what they were looking for. Because Jesus never uses miracles to compel faith. He, he doesn't perform miracles to win people over and to satisfy their wants because that's very often what we want. We want the big show because Jesus is aware that there's a danger with a faith that becomes built on signs and wonder because it becomes very shallow. It becomes very superficial. And what happens is, what the people had forgotten, what Jesus knows our tendency is, is we get things reversed way, way too often. And for us, very often, miracles, at least we think miracles, are the avenue to faith. But what Jesus wants to make clear is that faith is the arena for miracles. And that's an important distinction. It is not miracles that lead to faith. It's faith that gives us the eyes to see the miracles. And so the people have this encounter with Jesus, and he basically says, you know, I'm offering you something different. I'm offering you a different kind of bread. And they begin, they immediately connect it to Moses. They connect this story, they connect this encounter to what God did through Moses and, and the, the miracles that, in, that accompanied the people's journey from bondage out of Egypt, or out of Egypt, into the promised land. And, and one of the things it's not mentioned in this story, but, it, but it's important for the context, is that remember when the people were on this journey to the promised land, that by day they were led by the presence of God that appeared as a cloud before them. And at night, the presence of God appeared as a pillar of fire. And their thinking is, look at this miracle God has done. I mean, that's the kind of miracle I want. 
Because how many times in, in our lives, how many times in your life, I know a lot of times in my life, that I've stood at a, a crossroads. I've stood at a, a dilemma, a challenge, a decision, a question of which way do I go? Where is God leading? And I would love God to show up that clearly. I mean, I would love to God to be so visible, so obvious, that I just have to, to go where He goes and follow where He leads. And that's kind of what the people are saying. That, that's the kind of miracles. We want it to be real clear. Because if we have those kind of miracles, we're going to believe. What they forgot is when, Jesus or when God showed up on that journey. When God showed up as a pillar of fire, they were already in the wilderness. They had already started the trip. They had already walked out of Egypt. They would already put their trust in God to go before them. God showed up in the midst of the journey, not at the front end. I mean, God was there at the front end in other ways. But, but this miracle happens in the process. And then they talk about Moses and the manna from heaven, the, the bread that God provided. And if you remember the backstory there, that in their hunger and in their need, God said that every day I will provide manna. And every morning other than on the Sabbath, you go out and you collect just what you need for the day. And you will have your fill. And even another miracle, God provides the quail to come through so that the Israelites can eat. And they think that's what we want. We want a God that will do this miraculous thing for us. Because if we have those kind of miracles, who isn't going to believe that? But they forget. God brought the miracle after they had begun the journey. They were already in the wilderness. They had already stepped. In fact, the miracles just served to deepen their faith. It didn't birth it. It was like a Sabbath day lesson that allowed them to go deeper in their trust and to learn what it meant to rely on God and to rely on His presence and to rely on His provisions. And Jesus sees in the people and Jesus sees sometimes in us this danger that our faith becomes built on signs. Our faith becomes built on the miraculous things. And, and those can lead to faith. They can be a stepping stone sometimes. But when it's the foundation of faith, we are on very, well, we're on, as Jesus would say, a, a sand that's going to give way. Because really it's faith that allows us to have the eyes to see the miracles. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that Dostoevsky has a, a quote in one of his books where he talks about the fact that for the person who doesn't believe they will deny the evidence even that they see right in front of them. That, that miracles don't lead to faith, but it's the faith that allows us to see the miracles. And I was thinking about this. What is it that, that allows us to look at, you know, for, for somebody, for any of us to look at a microscope and see the complexity of life in its simplest structures? To look at the complexity of the way that we have been created in its simplest form. And for some, they see the hand of God. And for others, they see chance and coincidence. It's the eyes of faith. What allows us to look up at the stars and to contemplate the complexity of the universe and the depth and the width and the expanse of, of all that has been created and for some to see luck and for others to see design and purpose and plan. It's faith. It's faith. And Jesus invites us to something deeper than just dependence upon his miracles. Just dependence on on the things that we see and can experience, the temporary stuff, because that's what Jesus is saying. You know, you're looking for temporary things. Yeah, I, I fed you yesterday, but you're hungry today. You know, yeah, Lazarus is going to be resurrected from the dead, but guess what? He, he's going to die again. 
Jesus invites us to something more, and he says to the people, as, as God says to us, I offer you the bread of life. I offer you something that will satisfy your forever hunger, that will meet a need deeper than what you even recognize you have. What Jesus is doing is he's inviting them into a relationship. He's saying, you're looking for a sign, but God is offering you his son. And he invites us into something that is far more important, and that's a relationship with him. That's what he says, I'm the bread. Those whom God has called to me, I will not turn away. Because he wants something more substantial. Dependence upon miracles and signs, it leads to a very shallow faith. In fact, here's what's so fascinating about the story. And I didn't read all the way through the rest of the chapter. But I, but I find it very, very interesting that the people ask Jesus again, and I've lost the verse, but, but they ask him again to provide a sign, to do something for them. They've just seen him do something, but on day two they want more of it. But when Jesus begins to offer them a relationship, calls them to obedience, calls them to service, Notice that at the end of his words, far beyond what I read, at verse 66, this is what happens. The people who saw the miracle, this is what happened. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It produced no fruit because they were looking in the wrong places. Jesus called us to a much deeper, a much more satisfying experience of his presence than the temporary signs that he gives. He calls us into a relationship, and he offers that to us. And it's interesting. You know the ones who didn't turn back were the ones who were in the committed relationship with Jesus, his disciples, his closest followers. In fact, he says, do you want to turn around too? And Peter says, where would we go? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. They'd gotten it but they'd gotten it in their relationship, not in the miraculous things Jesus had done. We're called to a deeper connection. We're invited into a relationship. That's the hunger that we have. I, I, I loved watching uh, yesterday. I was taking pictures, and I was walking around at the event, and, and what I saw were people talking, sharing a meal together, fellowshipping together, enjoying being together. The, the kickball and the games, that was all fun. But it really served a greater purpose. It was just to bring people together. I sat in that dunk tank, and I watched just the throngs of people that were all giddy at the opportunity to watch me over and over drop into the water. But we were together. We were having fun. We were in a relationship. That's, that's what sometimes we've missed in our fast-paced, um, electronically connected, artificially stimulated lives. We miss connection. Jesus calls us even to a deeper connection with him. He gives us an invitation. That's what we're invited to. I'm not downplaying the, the value of the miraculous things God does, and I'm not denying that God does those things. But our faith is not built on those signs. Our faith is built in the invitation we have with Jesus, in God's Son. And that's what you're invited to, a greater experience of the wonder and the power of God through Jesus. So I think the question just becomes, what's your order? Are you wanting God simply to act in the ways that most satisfy 
your wants or are you open to God's gift in Jesus that meets your every need to a deeper faith that births in us obedience and faithfulness and commitment? Because once we have the eyes of faith, we'll see the miracles. We'll see the evidence of God's hand. But without the size of faith, we're not going to see it anyway. Hear Christ's invitation. And I pray, brothers and sisters, you respond and I respond with open hearts. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for Jesus and for his desire to, to live in and through us, to, to be a part of our lives, our experience, our faith, and to draw us close to you. May we have eyes to, to see and ears to hear the invitation Jesus gives and that our faith would be placed in the right places, our trust in the right person, and that is in Christ our Lord. For it is in his name we pray.